Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Good morning. Who and why? Who and why? Two questions that will give you massive amounts of insight into where you are with God. Who and why? Who do you spend your time with and why do you do it? Here's what's crazy. As I said and I thought about this, this is what, this is what came to mind. If I filtered every one of my relationships through who and why, I think I would find out that I'm a very selfish person. Who do you spend your time with and why do you spend your time with them? When we're younger, it seems like who we spend our time with and why is kind of about popularity, who has the Nintendo? Um, I don't know that that really changes as you get older. Maybe it, maybe it does some. But I think the Nintendo transforms into who we are seen with. You know, who we are seen spending time with. Does this put us in this class of people or group of people? Um, but it works the other way too. Who do you spend your time with and why? Go the other direction. Who do you avoid? Well, I can tell you because I'm in the business that I'm in. Oftentimes when somebody's life tends to like go down the toilet, you know where I don't see them? Here. And when I do see them outside, do you know how I see them? Like this. Which is really weird because my life's in the toilet half the time anyway. So, But, but this is the way it is because we have this thing. Like I don't want to be... I don't want to feel guilty when I, uh, who and why? Who do you spend your time with and why? If you begin to take your family and you pull them out of that, who's the next on the, on the next circle out? Who are the people that you spend time with and why? For some of us, it's a story of tragedy. Who you spend your time with, you're forced to spend your time with. Why? Because of tragedy. For some of us, it's just a matter of choice. We spend our time with people because, and I've been guilty of this in the past. Sometimes we spend time with people because by spending time with these kind of people, comparatively, I'm doing pretty good. So there's some people you can spend time with compared to them. My life is really if the Lord took a measuring device and stood us side by side, I would win. Sometimes that's the reason we spend time with those people. Who and why? The same two questions emerge in this story of Jesus in Luke chapter 5. The same two questions emerge. And you've heard me say this before. I haven't said it in a while, but Jesus is a genius. Do you know this? Just certifiable genius. What he does with people and teaching is, I mean, 
obviously, divine, you know? Just top shelf, so crystal clear and pragmatic and meaningful. So, so cool. So as I'm reading this story in Luke chapter 5, I see a few things and I want to point them out. Let me read this to you first. Whoa. You couldn't catch that, deacon? Luke chapter 5. We have referenced this man, Matthew, the man who was at a tax collecting booth, collecting taxes. We've mentioned him the last couple of Sundays. I would like to tell you the rest of the story behind Matthew, what happens after Jesus calls him. Let me read you this story. The calling of Levi. This starts in verse 27. This immediately follows the calling of Matthew, who is called Levi in Luke's gospel. After this, Jesus went, to, went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his booth. Follow me, he said. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were, were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who, uh, who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, meaning Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let me paint you the picture. This is so cool. If you are a tax collector, it is very lucrative business and very costly business. It's very lucrative and it's very costly. Because here's the deal. For every dollar you take from your own people, Levi was a Jew. Matthew was a Jew. When he would go knocking on doors, he had to knock on the doors of people that he knew. He was assigned a certain region where he lived in his own backyard, and he had to go collect money from those people. Can you imagine? Every single, every single time the season rolled around for taxes, the guy that you know comes knocking on your door. And you know that he's a shyster. You know he is. Because tax collecting in, in, uh, in the first century went like this. You can get paid however you want to get paid. However much money you want to make as a tax collector, feel free to make. We don't care. So long as Rome gets Rome's, you can have whatever you want. So if Rome gets a dollar... Matthew gets a dollar. Matthew sets his own salary. So if the taxes are a dollar and he knocks on your door, two dollars. <sighs> Give the guy two dollars. The other problem with it is this. If you're a tax collector, you work for Rome, and you're a Jew. Well, Rome is occupying Israel at this time, Palestine at this time, occupying the area. They have moved their king in. All the money that they're raising from the tax collectors is going into building palaces for the king and foreign temples for, for foreign gods. And if you're a Jew, you've got this deal. Do you remember, some of you will remember this, do you remember years and years ago when the church tried to boycott Procter & Gamble? If you remember this, raise your hand. Do you, anybody? Vaguely remember that. They tried to boycott Procter & Gamble. I don't even remember why. Do you even remember why? That's what it was? And the church immediately just lost their mind over Procter & Gamble. Like, why not use a deodorant from this point forward? You know, this went bananas. 
Procter & Gamble, they make deodorant and shampoo. What do they make? Okay. So they just went bananas. And the church was like, we're not going to support them no more. Can you imagine? Every tax dollar that you give. See, we live in a different place. Every tax dollar that we give, it's got different purposes, but some of them are very beneficial to us. You can say, well, I hate paying taxes. Okay, well, you still got some good things out of the deal. You still get some good things. Their situation? No. This was not for them. This was for Rome. Rome living where they live. And so all of a sudden, you can't boycott. You know why? Because the whole army of Rome is behind your hometown, homegrown Jewish tax collector. He's protected by Rome's spear. So he can gouge you for as much as he wants to gouge you for. And if you don't pay, he can bring Rome in on top of you. If you were a tax collector, you were hated. It was lucrative, but it was costly. There's probably a little bit of a comparison here. If we spend a lot of time in our sin, living selfishly, it can be lucrative. I mean, if currency is fun, freedom, um, ego, uh, money, if currency lands over here in these areas, living a life of sin can be an absolute ball. Unfortunately, it is just as costly as it is lucrative. It's deadly. And if we stay in it, that's what happens. So Matthew is standing at his tax collector's booth. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but what was the background? What was going on inside of his head as Jesus approached? Because the tax collector's booth, that's, a, that's not a place you just willingly walk up to. You try to go around like behind them. Like maybe they're collecting his taxes and I'm going to go around back. And Jesus comes straight at him. And what was going through Matthew's head? Was there this time? You've had these times. Like, I can't do this one more second. I cannot do this job one more second. I'm not pulling this lever and making one more tractor part ever. I remember having the thought while I was working at Acme Foundry in Coffeyville, Kansas one time. And I'm grinding these tractor parts and I'm throwing them down a sled to another idiot that's going to sand another part of it off. While I had it in my hand five seconds ago, I should have done it. But this guy's going to do it and he's going to throw it down to somebody else. And I stood there. And I threw the thing down. And I remember thinking to myself, my mom and dad had told me over and over, you know, you really ought to go to Caulfield Community College. School's going to be free. And, you know, it would be good for you. I'm like... I'm not going to college. College is stupid and I'm done with school. And then I was grinding these parts. You know, I'm 18 years old. I'm like, enroll me. I am done. Like, I am completely, I will do whatever it is that I need. I'm not, I can't do this. I can't. My mind was so scattered. I mean, so scattered all over the place. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. What was going on in Matthew's mind as Jesus approaches? Had he been thinking to himself, like, I'm lonely? I'm sick of being, I'm sick of being a, a tax collector? Every time I go out to the club and I meet a nice lady, and she's like, oh, you got a lot of money. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got a good job? It's a pretty good job. Who do you work for? Uh, Rome. 
Every time he gets around his buddies, his buddies got their wallet in their hand. They're just like, this guy's coming for my money every time. Had he kind of reached that existential crisis that some of us have? He was just like, I need a change. And then Jesus shows up. Whatever he says, <laughs> the words are this, follow me. Does that not give you the picture that this is a man at the end of his rope? Follow me. Done. Done. Like, I am so sick of doing that. And he just turns and he walks away. The fact that a, that a person would be called to be the disciple of a rabbi was a rather big deal. That was a rather big deal. It wasn't like, I mean, this is kind of like being invited into, like, here's an honorary degree, or, or we're going to put your name on a building. And this was kind of a very proud moment for a family. You get to go study and learn under a rabbi, somebody who we look up to. That's a noble, noble thing. But to call somebody from a tax collecting job to be a disciple was really kind of a bizarre thing. But Matthew responds in pure authenticity. Matthew's response is pure, pure authenticity. You know what we should do? You calling me to the ministry, Lord? What? We should throw a beer bash. It's 100% authentic. Like we should have a kegger now. And you can see the church people, right? Some of you are here. I don't know that Jesus said kegger. <laughs> I can see the look on your face. Well, Jesus didn't say beer bash. Of course Jesus didn't say beer bash. Matthew said it. This is pure authenticity. Who and why? Who you pick? Why? You picked him? And the same thing happens. It says that they throw, he throws this party, this banquet. Not only is it a banquet banquet, but it is called a great banquet. So I looked these words up because I thought, I wonder if these are like specific words. This kind of banquet that they're throwing is a banquet that is one that is convivial. It is jovial. Like this is a pure, full-blown celebration. Did you see who's there? Look at the passage. Levi held a great banquet. Mega is the word. Great banquet. This is a mega beautiful banquet. For Jesus and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. A large crowd. So I'm interested in that. Well, what's that consist of? This is large poly meaning multiple multitudes. Multiple multitudes. Multiple multitudes of tax collectors. Here's what's interesting. This is, this is cool to me. If you spend all your time being a thief, do you know the kind of people that you can spend time with only? Thieves. Well, if you spend all your time with drug addicts, then do you know where you'll be? Who you'll be spending your time with? Drug addicts. If you become somebody who loves to just make money, talk about money, spend money, do you know where you're going to spend your time? With people who are just like you. 
When you become a certain thing and you stay in that pocket in your life for that long, before too long, your options are limited. Now, they're really not, but inside your mind, your options are limited. Matthew can only have friends that are tax collectors. Who else wants to spend time with him? Nobody does. And so what Matthew gets is all of his tax collectors' friends, tax collecting friends, and they all come. Do you notice there's another word there? And others. Many multitudes of tax collectors and others. So I thought, I should look up this word others and see what others means. You know what others means? Those of the same fabric. Yeah, they don't, they don't collect taxes for Rome, but they're thieves just the same. Here's Jesus. Reclining is the word. Reclining at the table with nothing but tax collectors and people who are just like tax collectors. And they're throwing a big party. What's the party for? Well, I'm sure it's partly going away party because now Matthew's going to leave all of his former colleagues. But I'm sure it's also this celebration of, you know what? Finally, one of us made it. You know what I love about Midwestern graduation ceremonies? You know what I love about them? I love when they say the name. Alan Brosco. And then somebody up at the top who's got a cowbell bangs a cowbell and she rings it and she goes, Woohoo! First one of the family! <laughs> I want to stand up and just be like, <laughs> Love it! It's so good! Why? Because, you know what? That's a big deal. It's a big deal. I love to hear it. It's cool. The first one in the family. In this group of tax collectors, for somebody to be called out of a tax collecting group and be made the disciple of a rabbi, that's a reason to throw a party. Because you know how many times that's happened in the history of the world? Uh, none. In fact, I went back and I started looking and I found some old... Uh, some old references to some of these things. There was once a rabbi who, I guess his rabbinical school thing wasn't working out too well, and decided he was going to go and um, become a tax collector. So he did for a certain amount of time. He found out that he didn't want to be a tax collector. So he quit. And he returned to go and be a part of the brotherhood of Pharisees, teachers of the law, of the rabbis. They wouldn't have him. They said, we have recently learned that once you leave the brotherhood, the friends of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the rabbis and the spiritual group, and you go out and become a tax collector, you can stop being a tax collector and you can come back into normal society, but you can never, forever, ever, ever come back and be a Pharisee or a teacher of the law, ever. You are forever banished. Who and why? Why would Jesus look at him and choose him? Other people have the same question because the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they show up. And even some of John the Baptist's disciples are with them. And they show up and they're standing at a distance as these many, many multitudes of tax collectors and sinners are having this full-on kegger and banquet and it's beautiful. And they're standing back there like this. You can see them, right? With their arms folded, like watching. There's a word that says grumbling. And they stood back there or complaining. I think the NIV says, and they complained. The word is grumbling. It's an automatopoeia, meaning it is a um, word that is actually a sound. And the sound is the cooing of doves. 
Right? Just this chattering. You know, like when we say, oh, I don't know. She's just clucking on about something. Right? And they're over here grumbling. And it's not even words in as much as it's a noise. And this is the word that describes it. And it says that they begin grumbling to who? Jesus' disciples. Oh, now, well, that's real convenient, isn't it? You're going to stand at a distance, have a problem with Jesus and what he's doing, and then who are you going to address in a situation? Somebody else. Ever been guilty of that? You ever had a problem in your life and you're quite sure that um, Jesus is probably behind it, and so you complain to the disciples instead of to Jesus himself? If you found yourself in that spot to where you don't mind calling your friend on the phone, and just griping and complaining about whatever's gone wrong inside of your life, but not one time did you take it before God in prayer? Oh, I will tear somebody's ear up about something that goes on at my house. Mad, angry, bent out of shape. But then later on, it's like, I should have prayed. Like, that would have been a smarter thought. I wanted something to get done. What did I expect? One of my buddies to call my wife and be like, hey, listen, you need to straighten up. Don't do that. I don't need that kind of help at all. I need something a little more covert like Jesus, you know, to like go in and kind of change her and her think it's got nothing to do with me. That's what I need. Or vice versa. And they go and they complain to Jesus' disciples. And here's what they say. Why does your master spend time with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? See, in their mind, Jesus was a rabbi. The same standards that they lived by, these very high religious, holy standards, they assumed he lived by them as well. How strict were the standards, Jared? That's a great question. They're so strict that if they had not tithed Every single vegetable or meat or money or drink or seasoning salt or herb or spice before they had this meal, they would have considered the meal to have been an absolute desecration. For these reasons and the strict standard, they couldn't even spend time with certain people because if they didn't wash their hands the right way, they couldn't eat with them. If they didn't prepare the meal the right way, they couldn't eat with them. If they didn't tithe everything that's on the table to God, then they couldn't eat with them. So here they stood back at a, at a distance looking at Jesus saying, how could he dare be around those people? Who and why? This is cool. I don't know if Jesus just overhears stuff. He's got super good hearing, like a superhero type of hearing. Or if he just knows stuff. Well, I know both of those things are true. I just don't know which one it is in this situation. He hears them grumbling to his disciples. And Jesus, over his shoulder, goes like this. <laughs> they're just laughing and joking and talking and all this. And they're over here and they ask the disciples, why is he doing this and this and this? And Jesus goes, it's the sick that need the doctor, not the healthy. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. Turns back around. Now, I've always read this story, and I've always, I've all, and maybe this is just my personality filtering it. I've always seen it with sarcasm. I've always seen it with, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. 
like Jesus is the guest of honor at this banquet. The Pharisees and tax collectors, I mean, Pharisees and uh, teachers of the law, they're not. They're on the outside. He's on the inside. And I've always read this story that they said this, and then Jesus turned around, and he goes, oh, yeah, but it's not the, it's not the, uh, the healthy that need the doctor. It's the sick. And then kind of turns around and gives them a wink, like, but I'm here with you, and those idiots are outside. That's the way I've always read it. But here's what I think it is. And maybe there's a bit of that, but here's what I think it is. I think Jesus looks at this situation and says, that's exactly what I'm doing. And they don't mind. And they understand. If they didn't understand, why would there be a party? If they didn't understand, why would there be multitudes of people here to witness the fact that a tax collector has just made the conversion experience from being somebody who's on the absolute outskirts to now the very inner circle? They had to have understood that, yes, we are depraved. And we know we're depraved. We know we're detestable human beings. We know that we are absolutely, we're absolute traitors. And I think they knew that. And I think what Jesus says is this. I have business with these tax collectors. Like a doctor has business with sick people. I have business with tax collectors. I have business with sinners. That's the word. I have business. I have need, necessity with them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The word call is invite. The word repentance is to change their mind. I have come for these people. In, in turn, what Jesus is saying to them is, I'm not here for you. You've already got it together. And this was not sarcastic. The Pharisees were the religious elite. They were the mark. You were to live holy. At one point, Jesus even says, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, like they were the standard. And what Jesus is saying is, if you've got the message and the good news, shouldn't you take that to people who need it? I'll give you an example. A few weeks back, um, Brooklyn came in, and she wanted to play a game, or she wanted, I don't know what she was doing. Maybe she wanted to go, go for a run, or I don't, I don't know what she was doing, a bike ride or something. Anyway, I just got out of the shower. I just finished, and we were getting ready to, getting ready to kind of start winding down for bed. And I said, no. No, no, no. I can't remember what it was she asked me. Can we do this? Can we do this? No, 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 no. And she jumps up onto my lap and she grabs me by my face and she puts her face in her mouth and her nose right in my ear and she goes, come on, please. I would love to tell you that I stood my ground. I put my foot down and I said, no, but truth is, like a kitten. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a sucker. A couple weeks later, Allie comes in and she asks for something. 
I turned and I said, I don't think so, not today. Brooklyn hops up from the other room and she comes racing in. She looks at Allie on her way by and she goes, it's not how you do it, you do it like this. <laughs> she comes right over, she grabs a hold of me, she goes, Dad, can't, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Like a, we are, no, you don't give away that kind of information. She's like, no, but I want my sister to get what my sister wants. So I'm going to tell her all the secrets. And I caved like a sucker. And Jesus turns to the Pharisees and he says, hold on. Why are we doing what we're doing? I didn't come to spend time with healthy people. If you're healthy and you're whole and you're spiritual and you're walking and you're living in that kind of way and your life is put together, what need do you have of my company? You're there. But those people, they are lost. Even you know that from the curb you're standing on across the street. But it doesn't satisfy them. You see, anytime your religion becomes so buried in the isolation, the rules, and anytime your religion becomes the thing that distances you from people who are broken, you have officially become a hypocrite officially if your religion keeps you from the lives of sinners you my friend have missed the point and you have officially become a hypocrite you must take the message that you know what unlocks heaven what gets the father's attention what kind of information do you have that has made your life peaceful and whole are you keeping it to yourself if you are, you are a hypocrite. Your Savior died for you and gave everything he had, and now you've got the secret information and you're going to keep it all for yourself. Why? Who, them? No. Why? Why? It doesn't satisfy their questions. They turn... Well, John's disciples often fast and pray, but yours, all they do is feast and party. <laughs> Jesus says, let me tell you two quick stories. The first one, it won't take much time at all. Do you have the power and ability to look at the mothers um, of a wedding party and tell them to put the cake and punch away we're not going to need it today. Do you? He looks at the Pharisees and he says, what mothers do you know that you could walk into a wedding ceremony where they're planning the greatest reception? It's going to be so good. My son is going to look so handsome in his tux. Oh my goodness, this is going to be so great. And you're going to look that lady in the face and say, you know, put that stuff away. It's not really that big a deal. You're going to get punched in the face. You don't tell a mother that. You don't tell anybody in a wedding party that. Go find the bridesmaids and say, eh, she's okay. You're going to get your face clawed off. No. 
You don't walk into a wedding party where it's pure celebration and tell everybody there, you know what, y'all need to calm down. This is not that big a deal. Everybody knew that. Judaism had a law, and this was the law. If a funeral procession and a wedding procession are coming through town and they meet in an intersection, who goes first? Any guesses? The wedding always. You know why? Because we could use a little more good news in our life, don't you think? Unfortunately, the media always suggests we take the funeral and put it first and we'll celebrate something good maybe on like page nine, you know? But not in Judaism. What Judaism said was this. If there's two people, two processions coming through, one's funeral, one's wedding, the funeral procession stops. You can mourn anytime. This deal is happening right now and it's beautiful. Step aside. There's only one thing that stopped a wedding. Only one. And that was the arrival of a king. And if a king walked through town, then the wedding had to stop. But guess what? The king rarely walked through town. The wedding was most important. And Jesus looks at him and he asks him, who of you are going to go in there and tell the mothers of this thing? You're going to go tell the, what, the wedding party? You know, you need to just calm down. This is no big deal. No, absolutely not. Listen, I'll tell you when you, when you mourn, when you fast, when you, when you don't eat, I'll tell you when you do that. Somebody close to you passes. In moments of tragedy, that's when you mourn and you fast and you pray. But until then, drink up the day. I think that's transferable to our lives too if we took just a moment to talk about it. How many of you just go looking for bad and negative? What I mean is how many of you use Facebook? That's not what I mean. <laughs> That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. We go looking for this kind of stuff. We just get kind of, we adapt to this thing to where we just have this story of misery running in our head all the time. When there is a celebration at hand that we can be a part of. Life is not as bad as you think. There's a lot more good than there is bad. And Jesus, uh, he lays it out like that. But then he looks at him and he says this. It's kind of like when you make wine. You take the grape juice and you pour it into some wineskins, but the wineskins you use with new grape juice, they have to be brand new hides. Typically like a goat skin. They gotta be brand new hides. You know why? Because as wine begins to ferment or grape juice begins to ferment, what does it do? It expands. If the skins are new skins, here's what'll happen. It'll expand, it'll stretch, that's good for it. But if you take grape juice and you pour it in old skins and then tie it up, expect it to ferment, the skins have already stretched. Here's what's interesting to me. <laughs> You're looking at me the same way I was reading this text all week long. What does this got to do with anything? Like we just jumped completely. Why do you eat with them? And now why are we talking about wineskins? Because here's what Jesus is saying. The reason I'm sitting at this table with these people is because what I'm about to pour out, it's going to take something brand new and fresh. I can't take what I have and pour it into you because you won't let it. Plus you're across the street. You like your old answers. You don't like new answers. 
You've already arrived. You are officially the I know guy. Do you know him? Do you have one of those in your life? He can't hear anything? Oh, I know. I know. I know. If I were you, I would do it. Yeah, I know. Okay. And what Jesus is saying is, you're the I know guy. Why am I spending time with him? Because they want every single bit of everything I've got. And you're standing over there proving this whole point, saying, why are you spending time with them? Because you lost the plot a long time ago. You've got the information to set people free, and you're not doing it. Do you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for new wineskins. I'm looking for somebody with some elasticity to them. I'm looking for somebody that I can step into their life and I can pour my spirit forward and they will begin to change and mold and turn into something brand new all over again. Unfortunately, that's not you. That's them. Basically, Jesus phrases this. Old dogs, new tricks. You can't teach old dogs new tricks. And the fact that you're even asking me these questions tells me you don't want to know the answers. You don't want to get to know me. And he just shuts the whole thing down. What is it that he's looking for? He's looking for somebody who doesn't already know. Are you somebody who already knows? You've already become a Christian, you've already gone to church. You've finally fallen into that groove, and now it's boring. Well, whose fault is that? Jesus is boring? Oh, yeah, I dare you to tell him yourself. Yeah, just look him in the face and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm just really bored with you. He might be nice, but it's a good thing I'm not Jesus. Punch you in the face. That's what you're telling him? Or are you saying, I'm lazy. I don't want to grow. I'm comfortable where I am. I can't be told anything. There's no hunger left. There's no curiosity left. That's as deep as your well goes, right there. You got baptized. You became a Christian. You go to church sometimes, and that's as deep as the well goes. Then you're not drinking deep from the well. You're not even getting the cool water. You're not getting the, the, the living water. What's he looking for? The who and the why. See, some of you are on the other side. Some of you are at that place to where you have grown, you have moved, you have changed. You've become something, something completely different, a completely different, a transformative experience you've had in Jesus Christ. But now the next step is this. Are you taking what you have and putting it where it goes, where it needs to go? Are you taking the message of Christ and taking it to these places? Or have you become this isolated person and, well, I wish they would get their life together as we peek out our windows. I, I wish they would get their life together. I mean, I can't go down there, but I wish they would. I'll be praying for them, but I can't go myself. I would hate for, you know, I don't want to get, it's not good for me. It's not good for me to be around people like that. Maybe what God is saying to you is this. There are people in your life who you need to invest in, and you're not. Do you need to? Who are they? What is it that he wants from you? 
Who are you spending your time with? And why? Let's pray. And we'll get out of here. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it carves on us and it beats us up. Um, Lord, and uh, how entertaining it is at points too. Lord, we pray that you will do a work uh, in this church. God, that you will make us more pliable uh, so, that, so that we can move and, and, and be reshaped. Lord, so that you can stretch us. Lord, so that you can do what you want to do inside of us and with this church. Lord, we ask that <clears throat> you begin to work in the lives of the people here. Lord, that they will develop a hunger and a thirst for you that pushes them past the status quo, past the complacency and past the mediocrity and into that place of uh, true unity, understanding and wholeness with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.